This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. In this episode, I talked to Chef Flannery Klett Colson about elevating the everyday with food. Aside from winning Chopped and other international food competitions, perfecting the plates at Sweetgreen, and cooking private dinners, Flannery is executive chef at Kin Travel, a sustainable tourism company, and sailing around the world with the sailing collective manning the galleys of private sailboats in her swimsuit, which is where I first met her. So she's a master of cooking creatively and making the best of pantry ingredients, using her creativity to make food look absolutely beautiful and always delicious. In this episode, we discuss Flannery's poached eggs atop dill yogurt with Aleppo butter, a recipe you can find in our recipe box on storyandrain.com, and one that can be creatively deconstructed to create three or more dishes. We discuss her favorite cooking techniques, what it's like cooking on a boat versus cooking in a traditional kitchen, winning chopped, her dinner party tips, recipe ideas, hashtag quarantine cooking, and much, much more. This episode also includes about 15 questions from Story and Rain followers. Bon appetit. Flannery, what was your winning dish on Chopped and have you ever made it again? Um, well, Chopped works in three rounds. So I guess the third dish would have been a dessert, was my dessert dish. And it was wheatgrass pancakes with toasted meringue and sriracha, um, sh- like orange sherbet and acorn squash. And no, I've never made it again. And no, I never would make it again. I would never serve anything that I served on Chopped willingly to a diner. What a kind of a test would you say it is? Um, I think it's a test in terms of adaptability and... Um, creativity, resourcefulness, nerves, a lot of nerves, um, being calm under pressure and being really organized. I think that the fact that um, my job is basically going to lots of different kitchens and preparing food in lots of different places served me really well on the show because I wasn't attached to only preparing food in one place, if that makes sense. Actually, I have a question for you on that order later. Your food, Flannery, is ultra modern looking and stunning. How did you fall into food styling? Um, that's a great question, actually. Um, I think that I've always been interested in aesthetics and um, my business partner, Lauren Gary, is incredibly creative and um, studied graphic design and studio fine art. So she's always had a really artistic eye. And I think I learned a lot of that from her. And how did you guys meet? Uh, we met in our, like through our neighborhood coffee shop, Main Street Espresso a long time ago. Um, just like being neighbors basically. I love that. Um, Yeah. But, um, in terms of getting into food styling, actually I met another person through Ninth Street Espresso who offered me, knew that I was a chef and needed someone to help him style these salads for Sweetgreen. And I ended up doing it for him. And then they called me back and asked me to continue to do it. So that's how that happened. That's so fun. I mean, are you surprised at the total popularity of sweet green these days? No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I'm excited for them, but they really, I was there earlier and there. Yeah, you were there very early, right? Yeah. And their development. And I'm really stoked for them because yeah. they've expanded rapidly and seem to be doing great. So. Yes, yeah, sweet green is everyone's best friend. We have one in the neighborhood here, and you know it's always a line. What exactly do you do in your role as executive chef at Kin Travel? And tell us a little bit more about Kin Travel. Um, Kin is an ecotourism company that basically 
um, connects travelers with a more integrated cultural travel experience that's immersive, but also really gives back to the community. And so they set up these um, boutique eco hotels in different places. They do safaris in Kenya. They um, did several retreats on this private beach in Haiti, which is where I, um, all of my work with them has mostly been. Um, the beach is only accessible by boat. You stay in, it's like a glamping experience. We build the whole hotel basically from scratch for every trip. I want to um, go. Yeah, it's one of, it's actually of all the places I've been, it's for me, besides like my nostalgic personal places, it's the most um, magical, special place that I, and there's an offsite kitchen that I can do some prep in. Because otherwise on the beach, there's no electricity and no running water. So I have to run a kitchen making three meals a day for five days with no refrigeration, none of those things. So I have to be really organized and plan in advance. Um, so that's different from the boats where um, I can be a little bit more fly by the seat of my pants. But with any kind of travel cooking or under any kind of environment like that, you have to be flexible because you're dealing with the elements, like things spoil at a faster rate or differently, and you kind of have to be able to move things around like that. One of my favorite things to do just as a human is to go to markets and see how different cultures relate to food and how they shop for food and what that part of their culture entails. So this job in and of itself allows me to do that and then try to kind of translate that for the guests. And then on top of that, for me, I work really well with, I'm someone who works really well under pressure. And, and then on top of that, for me, I work really well with, I'm someone who works really well under pressure and with challenges. Cause those challenges for me basically like create a framework for me to build within. If somebody just said to me like, here's an endless amount of money and you can make absolutely anything you want. It's a little overwhelming. Sometimes it's nice if someone says to you, Hey, you have all of these restrictions because then you're like, okay, this gives me something to like work within. Like, I know I only have this much fridge space. I know that I only have, you know, these three small burners and I can't even fit two pots on those burners at the same time. I know that, you know, I'm going to be sailing during this time, so I can't cook this. So it's like, it's, it's a puzzle. I've always been really good at like puzzles and patterns and things like that. That those have been the stories that I've always liked working on in fashion. Really, is I mean, we everyone loves like the big, glamorous story where there's lots of you know accessories and resources, but I love these like you know when when I was a fashion editor um, at print magazines, there were times when you have to walk into the fashion closet at that magazine and make a story happen from what is in that closet, much like a, sh a chef in your circumstance where you're like. You've not you've not ordered any clothing for a particular shoot or a particular person, and you have to just walk into this closet of merchandise and throw out you know multiple outfits together. Those are always fun for me. So I really get where you're coming from. Um, next question: What's the biggest difference besides being limited in your ingredients when you're cooking on a boat in a galley versus cooking in a kitchen? In terms of the ingredients, or just yeah. Well, well, no, I mean, not the ingredients. Like, what's the, the what, what's the biggest difference when cooking, uh, like, between... I know, there's a million of them, right? But... I think that the biggest difference between cooking, um, at least... So, the boat that you met me on and the boats that I cook on, just to clarify for anyone that doesn't know, are small sailboats. These are... Small know, ones. They're not big. Yeah. These are, like, 50-foot monohulls or, like, 45-foot catamarans. They're small boats, so the galley is small. And I think that the biggest limitation or the biggest difference when it comes to cooking on a boat and cooking in a kitchen is the ability to multitask. You do not have the ability to multitask on a boat because not only – or not the same capacity – not only do you have really limited cooking equipment and cooking space, you have limited prep space. So you really only have the ability to do one thing at a time, um, which means that it just takes much longer. Like a meal that could take me 30 minutes to an hour to prep in my kitchen, which is, you know, like commercial grade kitchen, 
takes me, like most meals on the boat take me two hours to produce, which wow. when you're for eight people is a long time. Yeah. Is there a lot of like one pot cooking or one platter cooking for, because of that reason? I try, well. You're not like, your cooking isn't I'm like that. I'm not like that. that. You're not like that. You're a multi, you're, 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 you're bits to be eaten together. Yeah. That's your style. Yeah. And I want you to, you know, it's like, I also want you to feel um, what it means to have like a skilled chef on your boat who's going to serve you multiple dishes at a meal and not just one dish, not just like a, you know, I'll cook like that for myself for at home. But I think that, you know, if someone's hiring me to produce a meal, I think of a meal as comprising of more than one dish. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good point, Flannery. Yeah. You are also a private chef. That brings me to this question. You're a private chef and have had, uh, have, have had to work in tons of unfamiliar kitchens, which you touched on earlier, uh, in people's homes and otherwise, I'm sure. A lot of people get together for holidays, for vacations, for dinner parties, and find themselves working in a foreign kitchen, a kitchen that's not their own. What are, you, what are your tips for them? Um, that's a great question. I think that, you know, I think it's really important to ask questions. So if you're you know, going, let's say hypothetically it's Thanksgiving and you're going to your cousin's house and you're supposed to execute this dish, you know, hit up your cousin and be like, Hey, I'm coming, you know, in terms of putting this dish up, I need to like use the oven. Will there be space? You know, all of those kinds of asking those kinds of questions because it will, um, just, first of all, it gives the host a chance to like, be like, that is available or that's not available. And also it gives you the chance to, you've done your due diligence and you're prepared. Um, I also really like to bring my own stuff. Like I like to bring my own platters or my own things like that. And then I don't even have to worry a lot of the times if they like have what I need or not. Um, so, you know, if you're gonna do like a vegetable dish, you know, bring the plate you wanna serve it on. That's also going to like, you know, I'm a visual person, so I want to serve something on something I know it's going to look good on. Like, I don't want to serve it on, you know, like grandma's floral American girl doll china. Like, the, personally, <laughs> personally, that might be yeah. your thing. You so know, bringing some of this stuff takes out a lot of the guesswork. I think just doing your due diligence and being organized and prepared really helps when it goes to cooking in someone else's kitchen. And depending on how elaborate whatever you're making is in that foreign kitchen, you know, bring the things that make you feel secure. Like I like to bring, I mean, I'm a professional chef, so I bring my knives everywhere I go, but I bring a knife, you know, I bring, maybe there's like a cooking tool I want to use. I don't bring pans. I don't bring pots and pans. <laughs> you have to have a you have a dinner party, right? Yeah. I don't bring that. It's just heavy. You don't need to schlep it, you know, but let's say you're making like quinoa, make sure that they have like a mesh strainer. That's something a lot of boats, for example, don't have mesh strainers. And then you're like, you either have to buy one or you're trying to like put a paper towel inside a colander and like pray to whoever, like <laughs> Shiva, whatever God you pray to that you're going to be able to like strain this fine grain. I just had a, like a deja vu moment of that maybe happening on the boat that we were on together. Not yeah. sure. That, I'm not yeah. sure that you had a strainer there. Like that, that just all sounded very, very familiar. Here's a question. Have you ever had an issue where, can you remember like a big issue where you've gone into a private um, like a to a private client's place and like something was unprepared and sort of disastrous, like that you had oh, to all the time, all the time, like cherry picking one story is, you know, I think like the overriding biggest thing is it's like, if you're going to have someone over to your kitchen to make you food, like, I mean, to this extent, clean, clear your counters off. Every time I get to people's places, like their counters are full of like, not just appliances, but dishes. There's dirty dishes in like the Like life is still in full effect happening in their space. That's crazy. Yeah. Plenary, that's like, crazy. That's crazy I, talk. I mean, I understand like people, look, there's a lot of things that people have to keep organized in their minds and maybe that's just not one of the things. 
But for me, you know, I'm not always accounting for extra time to come do your dirty dishes that you left in the sink so that I can have an empty sink to do my work in, you know, and also trying to free up a little fridge space. Like, I think that having those things prepared as a host is really nice. And it's the most common thing that I run into in terms of walking into a space. But I've also, like, I would have to rack my brain, but I've definitely showed up for events and for dinners and all things. Oh, I just had like a nightmare story. What? Tell us. The worst day of my life. You're serious? Wow. Oh yeah. What happened? uh, uh, So Lauren and I did a gig for a very, very high end lighting studio for some people that we admire incredibly dearly. And it was the day after Trump got elected. So it was already a very um, emotional day in New York. And there was a lot of feels. And um, the rental company didn't deliver the proper oven. They delivered an oven that um, couldn't fit in the freight elevator. So they're like, oh, we'll deliver a new oven. But then they didn't deliver the um, adapter that we needed to get the oven to work. To to be in a situation where the oven is not there. Where you have to execute a four course, like four course dinner, high end for 80 people, including past apps with a top, like high end bar. Um, And you have two courses that are supposed to be served hot. The induction burners that they sent, they sent us pots that didn't work on the induction burners, so we couldn't use the pots. I finally figured out that the inserts for the soup warmers would work on the induction burners, but then a table collapsed, and, like, liquid and soup went everywhere in, like, this packaging facility of the lighting studio. And then they went out and they bought us, like, these... Hamilton Beach, like Barbie style dollar store toaster ovens. And we had like five toaster ovens plugged in all throughout the studio because if you had two in one outlet, they would short the socket, short the circuit. Um, this so definitely it, sounds like a cooking, some crazy cooking competition. It was show. like a MoMA like cooking PS1. a toaster, make a gourmet feast in a toaster oven. Oh my God. It was a MoMA PS1 exhibit for sure. We have like, we're shuffling chicken and all these toasters. But let me tell you, you know, you have to, that's why Lauren also did well on Chopped and one. That's also why we do well on shows like that, because it's like, you have, you can't just stop. You have to figure out a solution. And let me tell you, like nobody that was in the dining room that was dressed in black tie for that beautiful event had any idea that we had no working equipment in the back of house. Genius. That's what it is to be a professional. What are your favorite go-to cooking techniques that you reuse time and again? What's like a Flannery cooking technique that's like a go-to for you or two? I love not cooking. Like I love um, composing. I love composing, but also like I think that, um, and this is a great chop point, like when I went on chops, a friend of mine, uh, John, who had been on the show, who did really well, um, one of, some of the advice he gave gave me and Lauren was like, if you don't have to cook it, don't cook it. Like cooking takes time. And one of my favorite things to do is figure out ways to manipulate raw ingredients. Like I love preparing crudos, like fish crudos, um, scallop crudos. I love doing tartars, things like that. And I love doing carpaccios with vegetables and things like that. So they're pretty to look at too. Huh? They're beautiful to look at. It's nice to have these things that are like spread out. They're fun to plate. Um, and I think that they can, it's a really great way to highlight a, an ingredient. Do you think they're hard to do? I mean, it like, you, no, I don't think they're hard to do. I but think you have to, uh, would, would it be fair to say that for things like crudos and tartars that, being somebody who understands aesthetics is probably super important, right? I mean, yes, but I also think that you can like look at some examples and get an idea. I think what's most important when it comes to creating things like that is knowing how to pick good ingredients. And that is, I think that's actually one of my strongest skills 
um, you know, for something like that, you want to pick really, really fresh ingredients and know that they're fresh and just understanding a little bit like flavor combinations and textures. Like what do you want to experience? You're going to have like, let's say you're talking about a scallop or steak tartare, something like that. You have something that's going to be soft. So do you want to add a crunchy element? Do you not want a crunchy element? Do you want something fatty that's going to add like a richness and um, an unctuous texture to the dish? Do you want acid to like cut through any of that flavor? Do you want bright herbs? Do you want any kind of like fruit or vegetable component? And then obviously like if it's something like a steak tartare, do you want like cracker? Do you want bread? How do you, what's your... Because like a scallop, it's one thing to eat a scallop crudo without a vessel, but like a steak tartare or something like that begs to like be spread on something. Yeah. So yeah, it's like that puzzle, going back to that puzzle idea. We have some great questions from followers. Kevin asks, when you cook for yourself, do you keep things simple or do you style up the plate? Most of the time I keep things simple. Um, I'm even someone sometimes that like, you know, at the end of the day, like I don't want to fuss. So I'll make myself things like salads or things that can be made in one bowl or one pot. Sometimes I'll even cut things in my hands so I don't have to dirty a cutting board because I wash so many dishes. But then, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm cute. My food's cute. Maybe I want to like make it cute and take a picture of it. And so sometimes I'll do that for myself. But not as much as when I, when I first started cooking professionally, I cooked much fancier for myself because I was really learning and exploring. And now, um, you've done it all. I have done experience. Yeah. So I yeah. don't feel a need to like prove it to myself when you take beautiful photos. Um, Thank you. have you ever considered being a food photographer? Like for real, for real? No, I haven't. I don't, I thank you. It's a huge compliment. I love taking photos and I've become like very, very interested in it, but I'm like, uh, I took photography in high school, but for the most part, I'm a novice and I don't really understand all the features of a camera or like lighting or things like that. I'm just kind of like, you know, trial and error, figuring it out. What are your tips for people? People love to take pictures of their food and post them on Instagram on this platform that we're on right now. Do you have any tips for taking a great food photo? I do actually. Um, Actually there's this um, awesome chick that works at a, like a postal store near me. And I gave her this advice because she started an Instagram account called make my boyfriend fat. And it's all food. It's adorable. And it's all the food that she makes for her boyfriend. And it's not like fattening or anything. But I looked at it and I was like, this is great. Let's work a little bit on your plating. I was like, get a background. Like, shoot. You don't have to, like, buy an expensive background. But, like, you know, try shooting your plate on the floor. Clean. Try shooting it clean. Something clean. Like, don't have a bunch of hodgepodge crap everywhere. Right. It takes distracts from the dish. And like, That's a great tip, Flannery. Yeah. And I think trying to pick when you're starting out, Focusing on plates that are simple, like the actual plate is like a simple white plate or solid colored plate, because then you can really focus on how you're arranging the food. Like Tamara, for example, you have an insane knack for seeing patterns and combining patterns, but most people don't understand that. And so to put like a complicated dish on something that's really patterned is going to be a lot for the eye to absorb. You know, what's interesting you bring that up is that, you know, when I, you know, when I got my first apartment years, years and years ago, I was, you know, it took me a long time to figure out the white plate thing or the the simple pale gray plate thing. I was all about, you know, finding a, fun and interesting plate or a set of plates and and it took me a while to find and now i have tons and tons of of white for you know it just not only does it look great in a photo but it it makes the food look great right that's another tip right to yeah. not get so worried about decorative or ornate uh dishware right sometimes right. A, a beautiful white plate makes the food do all the yeah okay or right? 
or like a beautiful cutting board or a slate board, like things that are monochromatic or very, very simple. I mean, think about it as the same as like New Yorkers wearing black. It's much easier to match everything together if it's like <laughs> all, totally. the, all the same. That's a good, yeah. good analogy. Erin is asking, what it, what's an impressive dish to serve at a dinner party? Impressive. Impressive. I mean, listen, obviously delicious, obviously beautiful but impressive. But um, I think, um, I think that the secrets to that is to also choose something that's going to be easy to execute under the pressures of having a dinner party. Um, so I would say doing a braise. So that means slowly cooking. Um, this would be a meat dish, but there, I would say something different if somebody wanted to produce something vegetarian. Um, you know, braising some meat in the oven, you know, all day. In you, bra so braising is cooking in liquid. You can do it in the oven, which is some for me is nice because you can kind of forget about it as opposed to like monitoring it on the stovetop. My stovetop is like really intense, so the oven is more consistent. Um, and then you get this really, really tender, juicy, fall off the bone meat, which is like incredibly comforting for people to eat. You could do like a coco vin, or I love to do um, braised short ribs. I braise them in kombucha. They're really light. Really? And then, yeah. And then you can play with like fun stuff to serve with it. So you can serve it over like Lauren and I love making these um, vanilla bean mashed potatoes. So it's what? mashed potatoes. Yeah. Pause. 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 I think we all need to pause and we need to understand what this potato. So it's mashed potatoes. Yes. It, the inside of a vanilla bean. The, the scrapey, inside of the vanilla bean. from the vanilla bean. And then what else? Salt, pepper, oil, what? All, um, pepper if you want, um, cream, butter, just like you're doing a mashed potato. And what is it to just sweeten them up a bit or? It, no, it adds this like, you're not adding any sugar, so it's not sweet, but maybe there's this illusion of like, of a sweetness, there's a roundness of flavor that sort of builds from the vanilla. And, <laughs> and it's incredibly like aromatic and warming. And another one of those flavors that's like, really enticing and almost like erotic and sensual for people to eat. So when you serve, you know, if you're serving like these short ribs, like, and maybe you, like a dish that we love to do that I think is such a crowd pleaser is doing that with like um, pomegranate molasses, or you can reduce pomegranate juice. So you have something really tangy and acidic. Wait, that's a good tip. Um, if you can't find pomegranate molasses, just reduce down some juice. Exactly. I actually, I was, I had some recipe that I was making, and I couldn't find pomegranate molasses, and I could only find date date molasses. Very different. Very different. And yeah. now, had I thought about it, I would have just gotten some pomegranate juice. Anyway, go on. You gotta text me with this shit. That's what I I'm know. Talking. I know. I don't want to bother you, but I'd be I'd be texting you like every day. You know, I cook all the time, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, just reduce pomegranate juice or buy pomegranate molasses. I think that with that dish, so this is how you're building this dish, right? You have this fatty, beautiful, tender piece of meat. You have this sort of unctuous, soft pillow of rich potato you're going to put it on. And then it's like, what's going to make that pop? Right now, it just sounds like a heavy, dense mess that's going to make me feel like I need to go to 85. Right. So you really want to serve it with something that's like a little bit brighter or more acidic um, to kind of like waken it up. So the pomegranate molasses works great for that or pomegranate. The other thing you do if you want to impress people at your dinner party is finish your plate, you know, like garnish it with some fresh herbs. If you have a local farmer's market, they probably have a lot of beautiful like, like local smaller greens that you can play with that have, that are really flavorful. You can use that, but you can always fall back on just like, you know, fresh parsley leaves or mint or basil and they add so much flavor and this like splash of green that's beautiful yeah the the color the color contrast is important would you say that for a vegetarian dinner party or a, a dinner party where we, we've got vegetarians that accommodate would you say that like a, a vegetable stew is the equivalent of like a meat braise maybe no no i wouldn't i mean 
I, that's not what I would want to serve for a vegetarian dinner party. I, um, it depends on the season, you know, I like to work seasonally. So I think that that just really depends on like seasonality. Like in the summer, I did this dinner party and one of the, I did like five courses and one of the dishes I did was, um, was like polenta with like fresh grilled local corn and tomatoes and like beautiful local little peppers and things like that. You know, like that's something that's like pretty easy and beautiful once it's, and fresher, like once it's assembled. I think like, you know, you can do, you know, with vegetables, like the carpaccio. A that, vegetarian dinner party dish. Yeah, I think like the zucchini gar carpaccio and garnishing that with like crunchy almonds and lemon and oil and maybe some chili flakes. That's a beautiful dish to create for a dinner party and you can lay it out so it looks really beautiful. I think um, doing, you could do some sort of like um, bean dish. I love doing, and even if, if people, if the vegetarians eat eggs, a really great dish to do is doing like a beautiful bean. You keep, cook your beans. Um, a lot of people, um, I think people want to know what the difference is between canned beans. And why, why, buy a, why buy a bag of dried beans that you have to soak? Um, I know it's less expensive, right? We know that. It's I a think. love. But it's what so happens? Tell us, tell us why. Okay, so when you buy canned beans, um, what happens is they use these other additives when they can it, and they also cook them like they get too tender too much so they become like smushy and also have no flavor you've got to rinse all of that like gloppy liquid that's like full of citric acid off of them and then you're lucky if like it doesn't turn into hummus before you like put a chickpea in your mouth right so the best thing you can do it's not that it's actually really easy to make beans it's something that you can like walk away from you don't have to super monitor it so, you know, especially with like white beans and chickpeas and things like that, all you have to do is just know that you want to make them the next day or that night and do it in the morning. You soak them, you cover them in a lot of water, they'll expand, and then you strain them, and then you cook them in water. Um, with those kinds of beans, you can salt in the beginning, some herbs, a couple garlic cloves, drizzle of olive oil, and bring it to a simmer, and they cook in like about... 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the bean that you're using. Now, what's so great about this is that you can control how long you cook the beans for and the texture that they ultimately reach. So you can get this really beautiful texture of your bean. You can, there's so many, especially for people living in New York, you know, that, that those are the farmer's markets in America I'm the most familiar with. Um, there's a lot of beautiful heirloom beans that you can work with, or if you know Rancho Gordo, they make really beautiful heirloom beans that you can use. Um, and you get these great textures, great flavors, and then the best part is that you have all of this liquid that you created, basically this like vegan bouillon stock that you have. So you strain the beans out, you use the beans however, and then you have this liquid that you can put in pint or quart containers and put in the freezer and have a really easy um, broth anytime you want it, ready to go, like a stock. And I thought about that before. Wow. That's oh, great. and it's so great. Then you have an easy weeknight meal. You thaw the broth and throw some like noodles and some spinach and garlic in it and you're like good to go. Wow. Um what was I going to ask you? How long do you, you said you talked about cooking beans. You can cook them as long as you want. How long do you like to cook them for? Um, it depends on the bean. You I like a little, I, like, not I like them a little al dente. Um, not like al dente, like they taste raw, but I would say chickpeas for me usually take 30 to 40 minutes and that's how I like them. And the same with white, with white beans. Um, but black beans, you don't want to salt in the beginning. They, what happens is if you salt black beans in the beginning, they don't soften. Oh. Yeah. So you don't want to salt those until like the last 15 minutes of cooking. The rest of them want salt, but that one doesn't. No. At, at least not in my experience. Lori asks, what dish have you thrown together with limited ingredients working on a boat that ended up being a total success that people went crazy for? Um... 
it's always like those last days are so fun when like you don't have, you have to work with whatever you have left. Um, I think that um, on those days, like I love using like a canned tomato, like a whole, I always get whole canned tomatoes, like the San Marzano peeled ones. You never, ever, ever want to get diced tomatoes or any of that stuff in the can because what happens is that the tomato releases like its prized possession, which is the juice that's inside of it. So if you get the tomatoes where the juice inside of it is preserved, then you just take those out of the liquid that's in the can with them. And that's how you get a beautiful, like fresh tomato flavor and sauce. So using those, um, there's a couple dishes I make using those on the boat. So I can use it as a base for um, like an eggplant dish. Like if I'm in the Mediterranean, maybe like, charred eggplants with some sort of fresh pomodoro and a cheese and mozzarella. Or um, I make these pork meatballs that are gluten-free that are really good with that tomato sauce. Or I can use that tomato to do a romesco sauce. So I'll just add confit garlic and um, almond flour. And it's almost like the, the way I make romesco sauce, it's almost like a ala vodka sauce, kind of. like it. Describe romesco. What, what are the ingredients in a romesco sauce for people that don't know? Um, so it varies. It's a Spanish sauce, and um, it's made traditionally with tomatoes, bread, almonds, and garlic. Um, some people add peppers to their romesco. I personally don't add peppers to my romesco or to my gazpacho for, like, what it's worth. Um, and I don't eat gluten, so I make mine with just almond flour. You can do one or the other. If you have a nut allergy, you can do it with just the bread. But what happens with the bread or the nut or the combination is it gives this like creamy um, viscosity to the sauce. So it almost makes it like a vegan creamed tomato sauce. So I can use that. Um, that's really delicious with like, I'll do it on the boats with steak or with these like pork meatballs that I make. Um, so those are kind of limited ingredient things. Michael is asking, Speaking of gluten, um, do you have a grilled cheese that you make? Maybe you, and is, and is there a gluten-free bread? Do you make your own gluten-free bread or is there a gluten-free option that you use for something like a, gr a grilled cheese? I don't really, I have to be honest, I don't really make grilled cheese. Okay. Lauren makes really good grilled cheese and she's really good at it. Um, I don't have a gluten-free bread that I make personally. Um, I have a couple more like sugary breads, like I call them quick breads that I use as canapé bases. And I have a corn bread that I make. Um, but none of those things are really like grilled cheese material. But if I were to go that route, I'm just like, you know, um, I really um, like want to be a Mexican at heart. So I would just like go for corn tortillas and do like a corn tortilla quesadilla type situation if that's Ooh. what I wanted to go for. Paul is asking, what is the most unusual request you've gotten from a private dinner party or catering client? Um, you know, asking for us to use like a service, like a servant entrance and oh, God. Um, people asking me where my chef whites are and um, you know, getting to a dinner and having somebody then tell you the minute that you get there that they have all of these absolutely absurd food allergies that they didn't think to let you know about when you asked that them a could, million I times. can't imagine that that would have happened. Getting to like a dinner party where, you know, then someone all of a sudden is like, I'm a vegetarian. You know, it's like, you can't make this up, Flannery. I, you can't make I, it I up. Would not, I would not believe that, but you and just I said think it. That, I think that a lot of people feel insecure. Look, everybody is trying to focus on what makes them feel good, and right now is especially a good time for that. And if not eating certain things makes you feel better, great. Don't be a dick and withhold that information only to let it out at the end. I feel like a lot of people are like timid about putting forward that they don't want to eat something because they don't want to be difficult but I'd much rather serve you something that you could eat. And on top of it, I'd much rather be prepared to serve you something that you can eat. I don't want to get to a place and then be like, oh, wait, 
you don't need anything that I'm serving. And now I have to scramble while I'm trying to also serve 10 other people food or a hundred other people food to figure out something to make for you. It's interesting that people have insecurities about being picky with food or being uh, discerning with food or being, or having requests when it comes to food. Well, it's like be discerning or don't be discerning. And if yeah. you're discerning, tell people in advance. Yeah. Yeah. What is the most requested food from a client that you've had to cook for? Like, is there, is there something that you get, re- that you, people request time and time again? Yes. Um, what is that? I have one client that always wants me to do a steak tartare and, or some kind of tartare. They love the tartars that I do. And I have one client, um, Carrie, who I adore, who always wants to, I make this salmon that I've done for you for story and rain. And, um, she always wants it. So she always requests it. She's like, listen, if you don't want to do the salmon for the dinner, that's fine. Can you just make some extra for like me to have in the fridge or whatever? So that's another thing. For people that wouldn't know, what are, just name the ingredients in that salmon dish. Um, so the salmon is, I do a honey sriracha liquid amino, um, like little marinade. Um, liquid aminos is basically a gluten-free soy sauce. So you can use soy sauce or tamari or whatever you like. You just mix that up and put it on top of the salmon, a little salt. And then I put it under the broiler and I cook it for four minutes. And it gets completely like charred on the top, like as if you had grilled it outside. And then the inside is a perfect sort of medium to medium rare consistency. Obviously, like if you have a huge piece of salmon, you're going to have to like work it a little bit longer in the oven and a little piece will cook a little bit more in that time period. So you'll have to gauge that yourself. Lena wants to know, what are your tips for cooking cod? How would you prepare cod? Great. Um, Lena, that's a great question. I think that cod, something to keep in mind with cod is that it's a really tender, really flaky fish. So in order to not get frustrated, I think some of the best cooking tips involve, like my favorite way to cook cod, for example, is to either cook it in papillote or roast it, both involving the oven. So cooking in papillote means it's, um, you basically make like a paper pocket, like a hot pocket for your cod. So my favorite way to do cod is to put it with some tomatoes, chopped fresh tomatoes and thyme and garlic in a piece of parchment. You can use foil if you don't have parchment. Um, and you, you wind up all the edges. So you, can, you basically make an envelope. And then you roast it on 400 for about 12 to 15 minutes, depending on how big the piece of fish is. And when you take it out of the oven, you open the parchment and all of the like juices from the tomatoes have released and some juices from the cod. So it becomes this like lightly, like a little bit of a brothy, delicious dish and the cod kind of flakes apart delicately. You want to avoid, if you're a novice, you want to avoid trying to do like a pan seared cod because it's going to fall apart on you when you try to flip it. You're going to get frustrated and then you're going to have like a stir fried cod. So either roast cod tacos or cod tacos or like cod cat food. So either roast it or try the papillote method. I but think how, what does roasting entail? Um, so just do this. You can do the same thing. Forget the tomatoes for a second. So you want to cook it on a sheet pan in the oven or in a pan in the oven. And you can top it with like, you know, if you want like breadcrumbs or like in the Northeast, like Ritz crackers or um, almond flour, make some sort of like breadcrumb topping if you want, or don't, you don't have to put any kind of topping on it. You can just season it and you roast it at the same at 400 for about the same amount of time for like 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how big the piece of fish is and it'll stay together. You know, it's not like the issue with cooking it is in a pan on the stovetop cod is that you have to flip it, right? You can't just cook it on one side. The oven allows you to not have to flip the fish, which means it's not going to fall apart on you. You just have to be careful when it comes to getting it out, like off the sheet tray. Got it. Get a, fi- get a fish spatula. Okay, Beatrice, what can I do to fruit to make it more exciting? Fruit? Yeah. Okay. Um... Obviously, there's a lot of different fruits out there, so it's a pretty big question. Um, 
I love doing citrus salads. Um, so like, you know, you can do grapefruit, orange, grapefruit and different kind of oranges and you slice them or segment them or whatever, spread it, do a display where you spread it out. If you do it in a bowl, it just becomes too wet. So try to spread it out so you can really see it. And then you can drizzle it with like a little olive oil and honey and you can do nuts on it. You can do mint, you can do toasted coconut. Um, you could do other herbs too if you want, depending on like how savory. Basil? You can do basil, yeah. If you're going more savory, you could even do a little like parsley and mixture with other herbs or shiso is really delicious. Um, and if you're doing other fruit things and you wanna make other fruit more interesting, um, I think thinking about like toppings for fruit, like imagine fruit is your ice cream, like, but not, you know, imagine fruit as an ice cream, like what would you want your like topping options to be? Do you want like nuts or like sesame seeds or like some sort of crunchy element that you can put on it? Or you can always drizzle it with honey and like broil it and get like this beautiful like charred flavor or you can cook it and make a compote or there's a lot of things that you can do with fruit. I use fruit a lot in my savory cooking actually. So you do. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's like such a nice surprise, you know, like I'll do cherries or peaches with like zucchini or, um, and like a nut or an olive, like that's a nice combination or with fennel. You know, so that's another way to use fruit. Like fennel goes really well with orange and olive, but you can also do fennel with peach and olive or fennel with peach and a nut. Or there's a lot of ways to incorporate fruit in things. That was a really good tip too about not using a bowl because it all that it, it's too wet. Yeah. Right. Kip is asking if there's a key to gluten-free uh, baking. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of keys. I think that trial and error is a big key. I think there's a lot of really great um, online resources for that. I think that, um, you know, getting yourself a good, if you're starting out, getting yourself a good one-to-one all-purpose gluten-free flour and like read the label and make sure. For example, there's, um, I think, one of the brands makes a gluten-free flour, but it's not exactly a cup-for-cup gluten-free flour. They have on the back, it's like add this much, much like xanthan gum if you're making cookies or this much if you're making this. And if you don't notice that, then you're screwed when you go to do your baking. And I also think like, personally for me, I prefer doing gluten-free baking that uses other flours. Like I like cooking with almond flour. I like cooking with coconut flour. There are these cookies that I make that are super, super simple. Um, it's just almond flour, um, honey, tahini, and baking soda, I think, um, and sesame seeds. That's it. And you just mix it. It, like, mixes super fast. Um, and the cookies bake. You don't have to, like, chill the cookie dough or anything. You roll them right away. Roll them in sesame seeds. Press them. And they bake in, like, eight minutes. You can find the recipe online. I think that... Um, Food and Wine has the recipe for them. They're called like a um, honey tahini cookies. Really. This question from a follower is prompting a question from me, which is that I just, I have a bunch of different gluten-free flours, but I recently <laughs> bought cauliflower flour and cassava flour. What okay. would I use those for? Because I have chickpea flour, I have coconut flour. Um, I have all the other, I have cup for cup. What, what, what can I use cauliflower flour for besides cauliflower pizza? And the same thing with cassava flour. Like what? That would have been what I would have said. I would have oh. said pizza or doing some kind of like flatbread or something like that. Um, I am not very experienced with those flours, I would say. Okay. But that would be where I would go. I would say either try a pizza or try a flatbread or um, maybe like some sort of savory pancake. What do you have to mix with flour in order to make a flatbread? Here's a question for you. Um, you like need, a, yeah. What's you a, need a little bit of a fat and you need a liquid. So be it water or milk or an alternative milk. Um, and like a little bit of like an oil or butter, obviously seasoning, salt and pepper, 
Um, and that's what you need for a flatbread. Sandra asks, what was the last dish that you cooked for dinner? Um, last night I made, um, charred baby peppers and a kale salad with tahini dressing and, uh, toasted almonds and pickled golden raisins. And I made, um, Arabic seven spice chicken wings and I made the dill yogurt for the egg dish and chickpeas. I'm how, pickle, I'm, how do you pickle? How do you pickle a raisin? Do you just put it in vinegar, or um, so you make a pickling liquid? So I was doing it kind of quick, like as I went. So I didn't want to do one where you let it sit. So I heated um, apple cider vinegar and a little water with honey and salt, and I brought that to a boil, and I just added my golden raisins to it and let them like cook for a couple, a few minutes. Um, and if you have more time, you can do that and then let them sit in advance. And the longer you let them sit, the more they'll like plump up and become little like flavor explosions. And the liquid from that is really delicious in dressings. Here's a good question. Give us a good answer, Flannery. Joel well, asked, which celebrity was the most fun to cook for? Amy Schumer. Tell us everything. Tell us about what the, why, why fun? I mean, I can't you all imagine say, why she was fun, but we want your story. Um, I can't, like, I'm, I can't disclose information because I've signed, um, like, non-disclosure agreements, but Amy Generalize. Is a, but I can generalize. Amy is a wonderful, wonderful, hilarious person. She's exactly what you, she's exactly the same as what you see. And we both um, have a similar sense of humor and level of vulgarity. Vul yeah, is vulgarity even a word? I don't think so, but we're yeah, both equally vulgar and um, have like, you know, a dark, like witty, fast sense of humor. So that was just really, really fun for me. I one time left like a Snoop Dogg action figure doll in her refrigerator when I left food for her, for her to find as a joke, which she found entertaining. What did she say? Can you tell us what she said? I don't remember. I don't remember. That's fun. That's funny. Yeah. Nate is asking which country or location have you traveled to that had your most favorite ingredients? Um, so far, so far my favorite place that I've had to go to cook for work like I've had to go to cook and I haven't just been going to, to like explore for my own personal development. I love, um, the, the Amalfi coast, Naples and the Amalfi coast. So provisioning there, it's just like, you, first of all, you're right by Mount Vesuvius. So you have like the best, you know, like arguably the best tomatoes in Italy that are grown on these volcanic soils, which are just going to like burst like a rainbow in your mouth. You've got like maybe 12 different varieties of clams and mussels and razor clams, great fish selection, really good meats. And then you're dealing with like all of those amazing local like mozzarellas, prosciuttos, like all of that array, amazing tuna, tunas and oil, anchovies, like all of those things are just like so great. And it's so inexpensive when you're there, beautiful olive oils. It's like all of those ingredients are from there. I mean, they're not originally. Tomatoes are originally from America, but that's another conversation for like another podcast, another IG Live, another time. But they're growing all that stuff there locally, inexpensively. Like I'll go do a produce provision for a sailing trip and buy so much shit, so much stuff. And they're like, that will be 60 euros. And I'm, you know, at Whole Foods, that's like, you know, I've bought like two zucchinis and a bunch of kale and it's like $60. So, yeah. so yeah. That's incredible. That's true. You're making us all want to tr transport us all to Italy right now. Come sail, sail with me. <laughs> Lynn asks, can you share the recipe for your favorite pasta dish? Um, Sure. I love doing, um, I actually, there's a recipe that's based off of a Bon Appetit recipe that I really love to do, um, which is like a rigatoni or a peccary, which is a pasta from Amalfi. Um, 
with chickpeas and dark leafy greens. Um, I love doing it with just the chickpeas and the dark leafy greens, but if you're feeling, um, if you're feeling fancy, you can add sausage to that. You can add Parmesan cheese and it can be much richer and super delicious. But if you're doing sort of the chickpea method, you just, you do those home cooked beans that we talked about because then you have that liquid. You smash like half of the chickpeas and that kind of thickens in some of the liquid that you're using to make the sauce. And you throw in some like kale or Swiss chard or spinach, like a dark leafy green. You toss the pasta with that. The cheese is really nice too for emulsifying that sauce. Um, so that's a great one to, that's a great pasta I like to make. Take us through our breakfast recipe, uh, which is live on storyandrain.com in our recipe box. Um, it's poached eggs with dill yogurt and Aleppo butter. When did you first fall in love with that dish? Um, so another fellow uh, sailing collective chef, Alita, who I adore, um, my Habibi, she taught me about this dish and she's taught me, she really opened my eyes. She's Italian and she opened my eyes to like a deeper level of Mediterranean, Italian, Turkish cooking that was beyond the level that I think we sort of understand as like a basic Italian cooking in America, um, which was exciting for me. Um, I love this dish because it's, I make it on the boats now all the time. Um, it's great because you can make, so basically as you're bringing the water to a boil to poach your eggs, you can easily get the other parts of the dish ready. So, and it's one of those recipes that's like a non-recipe recipe, right? So it's like, I give you quantities for how to do this, but you don't, you can really figure this out on your own. I think cooking is so much about tasting as you go and like just mixing things up and you start to learn that way. So the yogurt, you just add some chopped fresh herbs. I like to use dill for this recipe. Um, you can use parsley or basil if you have it. Don't use mint that you're making eggs. That's going to be kind of weird. So dill, parsley, basil, and chive, an option like that. I like, I like dill. So you add dill to your yogurt and salt, um, you know, a little bit of oil if you want to kind of thin it out a little bit. Um, and then as your water's coming to a boil, you, so you just add some fresh herbs. I like dill to the yogurt. Um, with some salt, because this is going to be a savory dish, right? And a little oil, and you just kind of mix that up. It's really, you know, you basically just need a bowl, and a, it's so easy. You just mix that up. So your water's coming to a boil. You're going to add a little bit of vinegar to the water, just a splash, like tiniest bit. The vinegar helps the white of the egg stay with itself, like close in on itself. It helps the albumin stay together, right? Um, which will help you while you're cooking it. And a little salt, you want to season the water that you're cooking in. Um, set yourself up with a plate and a paper towel on the side and a slotted spoon so you can take your eggs out when they're ready. And then once you're done mixing your yogurt, just like warm your, or you know, you could start with the butter, it doesn't matter. Um, melt a little butter on your stovetop and add some Aleppo pepper to it. Um, and a little salt, depending on like whether your butter salted or not, how salty you like it. You can use, I don't own a microwave, but if you own a microwave, you can do this in the microwave. Um, and then basically you poach your eggs. So you crack your eggs into the boiling, the like simmering water. Um, and then you just kind of like, you know, you like gently kind of work a spoon sort of around it to be like, oh, hey, like come back. It's kind of like this motion. You're like, go back to your friends, to yourself. You like call it into itself. And then um, when your eggs are ready, you take them out, you put them on the paper towel lined plate to kind of get off some of that extra liquid, season them with a little bit of salt, or you can do that when they're in the dish. Put your yogurt on the bottom, you put your eggs on top, and then you just spoon the um, melted butter on top and, you know, don't put all of your herbs in the yogurt, save a little bit on the side and you can sprinkle those on top at the end. What's great about this dish is that it's really, it's like I said, it's like a non recipe recipe, 
these recipes are three different techniques that you can use to make an infinite number of other dishes. And you can also, besides the infinite, infinite number of other dishes that you can make using these specific recipes, you can go further and swap out the ingredients in these recipes because these recipes are just techniques, right? Does that make sense? Poached, yeah. Poached eggs with dill yogurt and Aleppo butter. Everybody should try to make that this weekend or next weekend if you don't have the ingredients on hand. Tell us about Aleppo pepper. It's a very specific pepper. Uh, that pepper can be found on Amazon. We have all the ingredients for this recipe in our shop on Amazon, and we're going to post the link over the weekend so you could shop the ingredients. When did you first start using Aleppo, Aleppo pepper? Um, I've been using Aleppo for some years now, um, probably eight years or so. I really love Aleppo because it's got a great kick. It's hot, um, but it's a brighter flavor than like a chili flake. Like a chili flake has more smoky flavor to it. And the Aleppo pepper is more citrusy, more bright, um, which I really like, especially with some of this. Um, it creates like a light, a lighter heat, if that makes sense, um, because it's more like acidic and citrusy and aromatic in that way. Whereas like a chili flake is more smoky. So it's going to be like a heavier, like a heavier flavor. And if you were to use poached eggs again, you would do that with a grilled asparagus and an oil cured tuna. Tell us yes. about that dish. Well, you know, it's springtime, so asparagus is in season. I love asparagus, like, on the grill or under the broiler if you have one. You could do it in a pan or you can um, blanch it. Um, and then, the, you know, this is kind of like – that's kind of also like a brunchy, lunchy dish. You can add lettuce if you want, but just topping that with a poached egg and some, like, the oil-cured tuna is great. You just take it out of – get a good oil cured tuna, you take it out, crumble it up, put it around, like lots of fresh cracked pepper, tons of like fresh herbs, and you're good to go. And we touched on cod, we touched on cod earlier, yeah. but you said that the Aleppo butter that is in the breakfast re recipe is also great to pair with cod, of puff pastry or roasted, I would think, right? Um, yeah, so the cod, exactly, either roasted or in the papillote so like in the pouch in the oven um so when you cook in the pouch in the oven like what how i mentioned in the cod recipe with the aleppo butter or how i mentioned earlier in the inner chat um is what happens when you're cooking it in the pouch is you're steaming it versus when you're roasting it it's like a dry cooking so you're going to get something maybe crispy maybe more you know solid on the outside you're doing the papillote, you're creating all this steam inside of itself. So you're going to get something more um, like flaky and tender. And it's really nice since you're not getting that um, flavor from like that direct crust that you get from a dry roast or a pan. To use something fatty and flavorful like a butter to finish a dish like that is really nice. So you can do cod in, um, in parchment in the oven and then just open it up and put that Aleppo butter right on top with some potatoes and that would be delicious. And the dill yogurt you mentioned to me that you would use for a chicken souvlaki. Explain what a chicken souvlaki is. Um, chicken souvlaki is like a traditional Greek like street sandwich, almost like a, um, a hero or jiro or gyro. People say it a lot of different ways. Um, but having a yogurt sauce to go with this like grilled, charred, delicious meat. So you can use like some pita bread, some lettuce, you do chicken, you do that yogurt sauce, maybe some pickled onions, and you have a just delicious sandwich ready to go. You can even use that yogurt to marinate the chicken that you're going to cook and then serve the sauce with the chicken as well. Not the, not, don't serve the sauce that was marinating the chicken, but save some to the side and use the, that sauce, just to be clear. Final question from Chantal. What foods are you craving during quarantine? Snacks. Like what, what are snacks for you? Oh my God, I found these like, these uh, gluten-free, like everything, bagel, like bagel crisp type things called Gratify. 
Okay, yeah. share the love. We're going to put that in the show notes. You're going to have to give me the full details. No, no problem. They're so good. Gratify. I've also been really loving seaweed snacks, just like snacking on seaweed. Um, and yeah, I've been like snacky because I'm like around all the time. So I'm like, mm, what crunchy? I love crunchy, salty things. So like I like dried edamame chips. I love those multi-grain tortilla chips from like Food Tastes Good brand. Those are so good. What are you cooking tomorrow? Any ideas? Um, Lauren, I'm staying, I'm shacked up with Lauren and her boyfriend, Daniel, which is really nice to have company. And um, I think that we're gonna make uh, sweet potato gnocchi tomorrow night. We're gonna like make something, which is nice. So you're making dough, you have sweet potato. Mm-hmm. How do you make a sweet potato gnocchi? You roast the sweet potatoes. You always want to roast potatoes that you're making gnocchi out of because you want to eliminate the liquid from the starch that you're using because if there's too much liquid, it'll make your dough too wet. Um, and then you um, mash the insides. You can use a ricer or just mash them. And you mix it with flour and eggs and salt, gluten-free flour, And then you roll them into like a long log and cut them into little like one inch pieces. And if you want, you can roll them over a fork. They're delicious. You can just boil them and serve them like saute them in a butter or a sauce or something Lauren and I love doing is um, after they're boiled is crisping them in a pan, like actually getting a pan hot and putting them down and getting like a crispy gnocchi, which is really delicious. So delicious. Flannery, it was delicious speaking with you. Good to see your face. Likewise. And uh, we're going to post the recipes live on storyandrain.com. Again, that is poached eggs with dill yogurt and Aleppo butter. And we have all the ingredients that you can chop as well. Anything that Flannery mentioned in our chat today will be in show notes. Peace out. Bye. Bye, I love you.